nine, eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. Hello, everybody, and welcome. This is The Drive Home. I am Harry Waters, and you are listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Thank you so much for coming along and joining us. It's an absolute pleasure to have you here. Today, I have got two absolutely incredible guests. But before I go on to, um, to introduce the, the, the lovely gentlemen who are about to speak with us, I'm going to talk a little bit about what we're going to talk about today. Today, we're talking COP. So when it comes to COP, you know what we mean. We're not talking about police. We're talking about the Conference of Parties. Um, Conference of Parties, which is the UN um, Climate Conference. Now, it's not called Conference of Nations because I imagine CON was a little bit close to the bone. But I'm not going to get too far into that. I've, been, uh, I've given myself a one-minute rant warning today. Um, and I'm, my guests are going to hold me to that. Now, I do believe they're both here in the room, so I'm going to I'm going to invite this other person with a mysterious name. Here we go to to come and speak. Ah, it's not a mysterious name. It's Owen himself. There we go. I've invited him there. So I've got the gentleman ready here to speak. It's uh, two people who, whether they know it or not, are very close to my heart. Um, very inspirational gentlemen for me. I, I have to say, um, I had. I had Kath Billsborough on a few weeks ago, who's also um, another inspiration of mine. But but Daniel Barber, in fact, he, he, he kind of started this whole call to action, um, as it were, um, that started ELT Footprint um, about ooh, two and a half years ago, a little more than that. He'll be able to tell you more about that himself. Um, and, and Owen Flewellen, who has been referred to um, by Daniel Barber and myself, but he has been referred to as the grandfather of environmental ELT. So I'm going to bring the two gentlemen in now and they can tell you a little bit more about themselves. Good afternoon, gentlemen. Hello, Harry. Good afternoon. How <laughs> are you both? I'm doing well, thank you. Excited to be here. Likewise, Fantastic. So, well. Daniel, or Dan rather, um, if I can be so informal. Um, I'm going to start with you. I'm going to jump in right there and I'm going to ask you just a little bit about your background as a teacher and what led you down the path of environmentalism. Okay, um, so I've been a teacher for about 27 years now. Uh, I started off just sort of not knowing what to do after university, ended up in Mexico for a, for a year. And then when I came back, I thought, I quite like that. I'll do my search. And then I worked in Oxford and London for a few years uh, before moving out to Spain. And uh, we set up a school here in Cadiz and um, with Simon Perlman and Danny Jones. Simon, I know you had on the, the show a couple of weeks ago. Mm -hmm. um, and that's still going strong. But about 10 years ago or so, Joe and I uh, decided to leave the business. And since then, I've been doing, doing mostly writing. Um, I still do a lot of training and a little bit of teaching, but most of my my bread and butter is is writing course books and um, materials and teach training stuff. So that's that's it in a nutshell. That's the teaching side of it. Um, 
and the environmental stuff is 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 a whole other thread really which has started a lot lot earlier because i was i was a a nature boy when i was when i was a kid and loved animals and birds and you know just knowing about all that stuff and um, i think like a lot of people you know david attenborough and and shows like the really wild show which was a program for kids when i was a kid uh, on on the bbc was very influential um chris packham who was one of the kind of young groovy presenters of that show he's he's really going strong um in britain on conservation efforts and uh, anti-hunting um movements and stuff like that and uh, i'm a big fan of his so yeah there's there's a kind of there's a long deep background there and i suppose really i'm just a frustrated biologist i probably shouldn't have been a technical teacher i should have been a biologist um but you know i i, I don't have a great track record i used to collect insects and sort of keep them in jars and then watch them die and um, <laughs> not not deliberately i understand but just wasn't very good at looking after them um and so i've always been kind of interested and um always followed the kind of the science and followed what was going on and i've been aware for a long time of not so much the climate crisis but the biodiversity crisis um very aware from lots of different angles um that wildlife is disappearing um uh, ecosystems are being damaged um and and you know things aren't looking great um just a few weeks ago i think it was 23 species were um declared extinct and that was just what we know or or what was categorized and i'm sure there's a lot more a lot more um uh, dying out as we speak kind of thing of all the millions um but you know like one, one thing i remember when i was a kid i don't know if if anyone else my age remembers this but one of my jobs to kind of make a bit of pocket money was cleaning the car and i just remember sort of trying to scrub all the insects off the windscreen mm-hmm. they were always you know it was a real pain for drivers that you always had bugs um uh, you know on the windshield and on the on the headlights you don't get that anymore it's like well where have they gone where have they gone that's that sort of idea and then another thing another um another place where i noticed that is um with diving um i i did some diving when i was younger and you know and i just remember looking under the water in the mediterranean and going well there's a few fish but it's not very much and it and i was comparing it to those old documentaries of jacques cousteau back in the you know 60s and 70s i wasn't watching them live obviously i'm not that old <laughs> but um but you know it was just like a fish soup it was like a bouillabaisse of 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 soup down there you know fish there was just shoals and shoals of massive fish and it was the same places i was diving you know places like corsica and cyprus and stuff and it just looks so different from from overfishing so i've i've been very aware of that side of things and obviously the climate change I'm a big fan of greta as i know you are indeed um, and 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 so one of the things that i was really aware of was that i spend i wanted to combine those two areas of my life the teaching and the environment and i was just very aware of the fact that i spend so much of my time in tefl in either in the classroom in staff rooms online at conferences um it's a big part of my life and i'm really into it um i always happy but 
it's it's you know just as if I'm recycling my plastic at home and trying to cut down on car use and all that kind of thing, shouldn't I be doing the same thing at work? And what does it mean when we try to be green at work? Um, and that's where ELT footprint came, as you said. Yeah, I think it's two and a half years now, isn't it? It was a uh, May. May 2019, mm-hmm. uh, when, when we started. Um, <clears throat> so that came out of, of that, that question, really, is like, what can we do as an industry, as professionals? What can we do to be part of that, part of the solution rather than part of the problem? It really felt like, to, to me, it felt that that was a, a landmark moment for me in that I'd been kind of doing things myself you know with my classes um in the school that I'd worked in I'd been doing a lot of work on that and I suddenly you know I saw this whole like an, an enormous bubble in fact of other people that, that wanted to do stuff that wanted to to make a difference one of whom um is here with us as well today so um Owen if you could tell us a little bit about yourself as well your your kind of teaching background and and what got you into uh, environmentalism in ELT and and where it's taken you. Sure, yeah. Um, I think it all started um, partly through the influence of my parents who are nature lovers themselves. And so I've always um, been taken on walks in the countryside. Um, back when I was a kid, um, the big crisis then was um, the Cold War and potential nuclear um, war and my mum was an activist and used to take me on these demos. I was about six, seven years old. I had no idea why we were all there, but it was often in the rain. But that was my first uh, time of activism and so it's kind of gone on from there. Um, since then, I, I remember just little things like I remember at school, the first video we were shown where I learned the word pollution. And again, I was very young and I just remember that in some assembly, I learned about pollution and that's been with me ever since, which I think is a an endorsement of teachers raising awareness around this. Then later on in my teens, um, I went on a cycling trip with my dad in Scotland and we went fishing. And then I realized the horror of what catching fish entails and uh, promptly gave up eating fish, which was not my dad's intention. Um, And then at university, I got into activism. Now, going back a bit, at that point, um, there was an anti-roads movement trying to stop new roads and um, people were living up trees to stop the construction of new roads. I was never that hardcore, um, but I did used to go there at weekends and I had a good head full of dreadlocks. Had the I would whole like look. to see the pictures. I, if I've got any, I'll dig them out. And then after that, I finished university, just like Dan was saying, and I kind of rebelled against myself and thought, right, I'm going to be normal now. I'm going to teach English um, and really gave up on any interest in environmental issues throughout most of my 20s and later on got a bicycle 
started getting into bicycle activism and then that kind of led me back to the environment and it was around about 2008 the first very ill-fated cope um, conference in copenhagen and that was when i really started thinking how can i bring this into my teaching um so that's the my environmental interest and my teaching interest came um like dan said i kind of fell into it back then i Honestly, I don't think I was a very good teacher at the beginning. Um, but then I got more and more into it. And once I started to find this intersection between environmental issues and language teaching, that's when I really um, found, found what I wanted to do. And then in 2012, I set up the blog um, ELT Sustainable. And... It's since then, it's been very interesting to see how ELT's um, changed and the awareness has gone up, especially since around 2017. It's just, it's a really impressive curve, I think. It is now. Something you mentioned there, you have been around since kind of 2012 um, on the, the well, I'm going to say the ELT sustainable scene because, you know, you literally gave it that name. Um <laughs> Uh, and and you mentioned as well about how when you were at school there you know you they were talking about pollution and I remember a blue Peter appeal for recycling um, aluminium cans and there was a big hole in the ozone layer like you know and it's only the last sort of three or four years that it's it's really been you know massively at the front of people's minds but it's been there it's it's something that we've known about for. Of a very, very, very long time, um, which is one of the things that frustrates me the most about the the kind of let's call it lack of action, as it were, um, from our, our world leaders. Um, I'm not going to get onto that just yet because I, I, I fear it's a rabbit hole that if I go down, um, I, I won't be able to get out at the other end of. Um, but it has been there, and it's been in, in ELT for for quite a while. But one of the key things you both mentioned was your, your love of nature. Now, I think for me, I'm also a nature lover, um, and, and I have been my whole life. I think for me that really is the key to um, the climate battle, as it were, particularly with, with younger learners, to get younger people aware. Um, I think getting them to love nature first is, is really important. Dan, could you... Could you share your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, first of all, just going back to that idea, we've known about it for a very long time. We have. We've, there were, as early as the 1920s, there, were, uh, there was a newspaper article, there were scientists who were predicting this, and I think they got their time scale wrong. I, thought they, I think they thought it would make a significant difference within um, uh, you know, 200 years or something like that, whereas, in fact, it's been less than 100. But they were, they were right. The, the science is very, very simple. Um, not that I understand it, but relative to other science, it's, it's really straightforward. And um, that, you know, that our actions will have an effect on the atmosphere. Um, the, the idea of nature, I'm not so sure. I'm coming at it from my point of view. I feel, yeah, it's a no-brainer. I, I feel for the... Uh, animals and plants I, I feel that you know we are just one species out of millions on this planet and we we can't possibly have the hubris to to think that you know 
our actions are more important than any, any others. But that's my point of view. And I think what we're seeing now, what we, what's becoming very obvious from headlines to do with the mega fires, to do with drought, to do with flooding, um, and so on, is that this is a very much a human crisis. Mm-hmm. And it's about people. Um, in some ways, it's, 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 it's difficult, it's uncomfortable for me to place so much emphasis on animals and plants. We have a love of animals. Uh, you know, if you look on, on the, you know, TikTok or whatever, you've got cats everywhere, dogs everywhere, and people going, oh, that poor cat, the, the cat that was adopted and has a lovely life now. And I'm thinking, shouldn't we be having these videos about, about families and people in poor countries and stuff? And it's not a very attractive or fashionable thing for many people to, to, to show an interest in. And that, for me, feels tragic. And that feels to me the the crux of it going back you know we'll, we'll be talking about cop later but you know cop is very much uh, a, a dialogue between two sides of the world between rich countries and poor countries between those who have created the crisis and those who are suffering from it and people and and really it's about you know the the anger that i think you and you know we all feel about inaction is to do with this uh, ignoring our responsibility as a as a wet, as a rich nation or rich set of nations, um, and not and and putting the blame on 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 for example population um, overpopulation in in poor countries and things like that, which clearly is um, daft. And <clears throat> so, I want I want to encourage people to be interested, and I think you're absolutely right. Primary school um, is a great place for sort of discovering the world and learning about animals that's 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 where we've always learned you know got our grounding in nature in science and those sorts of things but but actually it's so much more urgent that we need to be the the problems that people are having right now in low-lying countries areas with water shortages and and all the rest of it that, that the focus surely has to be on people as much as animals, or perhaps oh, one hundred percent. Yeah, I, I completely agree. Particularly with with your kind of older students. Um, you know, I'm talking over the the nine, ten years old kind of thing, where they are more kind of astutely aware. They are like developing more empathy and, and so on and so forth. Mm. Um, I think it's super important. I actually did a an interview with Rituraj Fukan, who's a an environmentalist from Assam in India. And he and he talks a lot about um, water, especially. You just mentioned that, and you know how there, are, you know, there's obvious water wars are going to develop in the near future. And you know, these are things that in the global north we we completely ignore these these ideas of you know water, not only water shortage, but obviously water contamination, which is you know yeah. as dangerous. And then you know a, sur- a surplus of water. So with floods and so on and so forth. So. It's there are these things that I think are, are vital that as in ELT with our global reach, we need to be um, bringing these things to people's attention. Um, mm. My only fear is when we do that, um, the flip side of it is an increase in eco anxiety. Now, it's something. It, this is a you know a bit of a buzzword, obviously, at the moment, um, and one of the reasons a lot of people say. You know, I don't want to teach it because everything's really bad. Now, you know, I, I, I know that you're not saying we need to go in there and tell them everything is terrible. 
you know, we need to show them the positives as well. But um, Owen, I wonder what you um, what you think about this this approach to so let's you know this eco anxiety side of things. There are desperate things that need to be done. There are things that need to be talked about. But how can we kind of combat that as well? Um, I think that as teachers. Um, and I'm coming at this from now. My prince, I principally teach adults, and first of all, is knowing who these um, students are and what their interests is. Just as we always should do in language teaching, pitching the topic of the lesson if we're going to bring this in um, in a way that they can relate to, and. Probably we remember these the bad old days of course books where you open the environment unit always at the back of the book and it would have pictures of polar bears and floods and that certainly was, is how I'd say is not the right way to do it. Um, I think this idea of bringing people in um, and often sort of uh, empowered people who are doing something um, is is a really good start that a lot of people will relate to. I think everyone likes a lesson that focuses around people, at least with uh, adult lessons. Replacing some of the role models we might have in uh, many traditional language teaching materials, your, your tech startups, your corporate CEOs, and replace other people who, who've done great achievements on their own, but in a different field. I think that can be very inspirational for learners. Obviously, you are addressing the very pressing and very serious issue, but coming at it through from an angle of people who are doing something about it and that kind of giving that inspiration um, to learners. Um, and I think also this, this, should the lesson be about people or should it be about nature? I was reading something recently about having people situated in nature and not having that separation. So uh, again, coming back to the role models we might choose, it might not be someone in a purely urban area or in their office, but having them more situated within nature and nature having a presence in the lesson. So that would be my starting point, I think, from a, a lesson point of view. I, I love the I love the idea of that focusing on those um, positive people, and that's that's one thing that I've I have liked about COP is it has brought a lot more of these role models, and um, particularly indigenous um, role models. It's brought them to the fore, you know. It's it's put them into the public eye and you know into materials writers' eyes. You know, these are people who are now you know shown to to us as, as teachers, as material writers, as teacher trainers, you know, I've discovered a whole bunch of new people that I'm, I'm now interested in, I'm now reading about that, you know, I can easily drop into my materials. And, and what you mentioned before about the traditional course book unit, that is the, that was the, the fundamental reason behind me starting that the first series of Renewable English was to kind of provide that you know, that environmental aspect to every unit, that kind of critical way of looking at things, you know, when we do the fashion unit, do we um, do we just talk about jeans and Prada? No, we, we could also talk about the environmental impact of 
um, of these different things. Um, Dan, I see you've opened your mic. I'm going to hand over to you. <laughs> I was predicting that you'll take, it'll be me next. <laughs> um, so I had a couple of things to say just in response to, to your question about eco-anxiety. Um, isn't anxiety an important thing? I, 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 I don't want us to shy away from negative feelings because negative feelings are the natural and right response to what's happening um, but there are there are two ways of being anxious so if we look at Greta Thunberg who or Greta Thunberg to, to, to the rest of the world she um, you know she holed away for for a, a number of years as a, as a young teenager from between about I don't know 12 and, and, and 16 um, and it, it it took a long time for her to then use that anxiety that she felt um, upon hearing about the um, imminent, um, you know, cat catastrophe that was unfolding, uh, and 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 turn it into something constructive. Um, and I'm sure she's she would still say she's very anxious right now about the whole thing. Um, uh, more than most people, she's she's acutely aware of what's going on and and where we're up to, perhaps more than anyone. Um, and. So I'm I'm interested in the idea of eco anxiety. I think we we we've we, there's a there's a narrative forming and has been doing ever since this sort of term came into being. Uh, it's a lot on ELT Facebook as well. This idea of avoiding eco anxiety, and I don't want us to avoid it. I don't want us to shy away from really really difficult truths. Um, there is no getting around the fact that in order for this climate uh, crisis to be solved, we need to panic. <laughs> panic is the wrong word. We need we need to recognise the emergency that it is. I am not going to say I'm not feeling anxious because my house is on fire. But if my house my house is on fire, I need to then do something about it. And I and, and that motivation stems from a variety of different emotions, mixed emotions. I think in the case of of, of climate crisis, you know, we, we can talk about the fear and anxiety. They're, they're valid responses and, and quite right responses to what's going on. But we can also um, recognize and promote uh, positive emotions to do with hope and motivation, determination, protest, anger, all of these very positive emotions that can, that can get, us, get us moving and get us acting. And I just think perhaps we're not anxious. And maybe anxiety is the wrong word. Maybe anger is the word we need to be focusing on. Well, exactly that. That's what um, I was thinking that with the, the eco-anxiety and like eco-fear. I mean, I don't know. Yeah, I think I, I try and encourage my students occasionally to, to, to get a bit angry um, mm. because there are things that need to be done, that need to be um, addressed, that need to be talked about, that, that you know, mm. they have to be at the top of their agendas. And, they're things that, I mean, I think particularly teens, especially, um, it's a good time for them to become aware. I know when I was uh, in my mid-teens, uh, mid to late teens, I got really into activism. Like, I'd been involved in activism my entire life, um, mostly due to my due to my parents. Um, you know, now you know retrospectively, I look back on some of the marches I went on. You know, keeping coal mines open was what I was fighting for then. Um, okay, but, 
but it was more for the miners' sake, but more than anything else. You know, I was on the, I went on the miners' marches um, mm. to keep them open. Which, you know, in retrospect, okay, the mines are closed, not the worst thing in the world. But lo and behold, they're trying to open a new one thirty years later, yeah, um, or they are opening a new one thirty years later, isn't it? Exactly. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I remember in my mid-teens, it was just, it was a great outlet for me when I kind of mm. discovered activism and you know I kind of found my voice um, and we're going to talk a little bit after the um, after the news break um, we're going to talk a bit about what you've done uh, specifically some of the materials you've actually created I know you've both worked together on some some in- incredible things actually um, for the British Council we're going to talk about that very shortly um, before that you've got time to, to nip off grab a glass of water have a wee. We'll be back in about five minutes. Um, we're just going to listen to our sponsors and um, answer the news as well. So one of our sponsors of the show is Oxford University Press. If you need uh, support with your phonics teaching, Oxford University Press now has three DFE validated programmes to help you. Readwrite Ink, Phonics, Floppy Phonics, and the brand new Essential Letters and Sounds. Essential Letters and Sounds will get all your children reading quickly using phonics books you may already have in your classroom. Developed by the Knowledge Schools Trust English Hub, it's affordable, easy to use, and makes teaching phonics with letters and sounds more effective. To find out more about these programmes and receive support from your OUP expert, local educational consultant, visit www.oxfordprimary.com forward slash phonics. Um, and I'm just trying to get the news to play. It doesn't want to play at the moment, um, but it is all about the, uh, the recent um, videos on TikTok that were um, abusing and attacking teachers um, and, and TikTok's lack of action um, about that. So I'm going to see if I can re-upload that for the the second ad break, which is coming up in about another half an hour. Um, But for the next half an hour, we are going to be looking a little bit deeper at some of the materials that have been created. Before then, for the last half hour, we are going to go a bit more deeply into what's happened at COP or what's not happened at COP perhaps would be more appropriate. But before that, I'm going to shoot back over to Owen and I'm going to say, Owen, the British Council, tell me, tell me something about your work with the British Council and the environment more uh, specifically. Can you hear me, Owen? Owen, there you're there. It's okay. Sorry, I'm here. I gave you five minutes, but I didn't. I didn't actually take five minutes because my my media file for the news wouldn't open, which was a uh, which is something I've been struggling with in the past. But recently, I had it fixed, and today I decided not to work again. So I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna have a play with that one now and see if I can get it working again. So um, I know you work for the British Council, and I've seen some of the incredible things that you've done. Um, and some of the amazing things that the British Council are doing. I know they've got a stand at COP at the moment. Um, tell us a little bit more about the, the course that, well, you and Dan have worked on. Um, the course is 
uh, a fully online course um, called um, Climate Action in Language Education. And it's it's been running for a few um, and it's aimed at teachers worldwide, language teachers, whether English or, or other languages. Um, and it's particularly aimed for teachers um, in in the global south, um, because often we we get these courses that might be quite um, don't work well on low bandwidth and don't take into account some of the specific things teachers there would face. And so it's quite low tech, runs anywhere, and um, really aimed at a global audience. Uh, any teacher from B1 level upwards can take part. Um, I wrote module two, which was about um, how to embed environmental issues into the language class. Um, Dan wrote um, module three, which no doubt he'll talk about. And I think what, one really interesting thing is just how much take up is it's had in, in that they were optimistic that they might get 3,000 people to do it. And it's completely blown away that target. I mean, last I heard it was on 4,000 um, and they're going to run it again. So that number is hopefully just going to keep going up. And it is fantastic, I have to say. Um, I, the first time it was run, I, I got involved, I got started, and I didn't quite finish. I'm, I'm ashamed to admit. Um, but it was. Well, I, I love what you mentioned there about the kind of low tech side of thing side of things. It was, it was very very easy. It was very. Um, it was simple to get hold of. It was, you know, it could clearly be accessed from from almost anywhere, which which is something that we do really overlook. I think just in the kind of climate conversation in general, you know, we often, over, we completely overlook the, the global south. You know, we, despite the fact that the, the climate change effects are, you know, primarily um, hitting those areas and, you know, we overlook it. And we, I know particularly a lot of people from the global north, you know, they almost think they, they know the answers um, and we should decide what to do um, and that's how we should fix things, you know, with the kind of looking down at, you know, the poor global south. And I really did love that approach with this, um, mm. with this course. I, I thought it was fantastic. And as you say, it has had a huge take up. It's, I did a, I, I spoke not long ago, um, a couple of Thursdays back actually, a, a round table event with the, with the writer of the, of the first unit, actually, Christiana, um, and it was it was just so nice to see so many people there involved in the conversation, um, and having it out there for other people has just been exceptional. So, Dan, could you tell us a bit about what you did? Um, firstly, about the course, and then a little something about the the added bonus that you also did of lesson plans. Yeah. So, um, the the course, the climate action in language education. Uh, we it, it sort of takes you through um, first of all kind of general principles issues climate change issues and principles then obviously um, Owen's mentioned his his one which is kind of lessons with a sustainability focus which 
and 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 I think we in terms of materials we've we've talked about course book materials and how um, the problematic side of 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 boxing the environment in it and its own special unit or special lesson and uh, and how Owen in the last well now almost ten years has been um, you know creating all these lessons freely available for everyone so really in terms of of materials I think Owen's the the, the person there that's taken it to, to a new level where it, it really takes center stage. Um, and then module three, which is what I wrote, which was looking more outside of the classroom. So it's, it's called making sustainability part of your learners' lives. I would argue also part of your, part of your life as a teacher. Mm -hmm. So <clears throat> one, it, taking project work, for example, outside, um, a lot of the things that you're really into, Harry, um, you know, tree planting and, and, and rubbish clearing and all that kind of thing. So there's lots of examples on my course of, of um, real projects that have been happening around the world. We had um, some, a, a school in Argentina that created their own compost um, heap, and it was kind of a one-class project to start with, and then, uh, and then the whole school starts bringing in their, vegeta you know, their old vegetable matter and, 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 and looking at the, the wildlife that's kind of going in and uh, going on and around the, the compost heap and stuff. Um, we got uh, uh, Patrick in, in Ireland who started um, Picker Pals, which is just a fabulous um, kid-centered uh, project um, where they get their own, you know, fluorescent yellow flak jacket and, I've got and one. bags and you've got one. You've got one have. Picker Pals, have you? I have indeed. I, I love <laughs> it. I, I love it. I get my daughter to wear it whenever we go on a litter pick. Yeah, it's fantastic. So, you know, so they can be easily seen as they're going along the road, um, picking up litter and stuff. And he's done beach cleanups. And it's just this fantastic community spirit that they that they create in doing all of this stuff. So there's there's projects from all over the place. Um, we had a couple of really interesting projects in Africa, one about one, one very small scale one in in Libya, I think it was, um, where it, it was a very small scale thing, but it was just looking at you know, those first steps into environmentalism. In, in this case, it was just separating litter out in the, in the school. So they created separate bins and labels and, and had a poster about it in the school, um, all the way to a, a school in Mali where they were doing tree planting uh, projects. So, some, so really learning by example, learning through these models. And those models, as Owen, uh, what you were saying about kind of... Um, you know the, the 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 rich nor you know well i grew up in tefl in a very anglo-centric world of tefl and it's still very much like that there's still the center of of tefl is very kind of much in the hands of of europeans and americans and stuff but we're seeing and there's been this explosion the last few years of kind of uh, learning from from other you know seeing a whole new side of things which is um, you know, it, things are very, very different in South Africa or in Indonesia or wherever you go. And that's really exciting. And I think that that, that comes into this course. Um, uh, so, yeah, that's that's the course, really. It's it's um, I, I'm not I can't remember how many hours. It's sort of three, three hour units. That's what they estimated will take you to do the course. And it's totally free. It's well worth doing. So you can look it up on the teaching English website on the British Council tool website um, and um, and as Owen says they've run it once they're running it again at the moment and they'll run it um, another time I think you can take the course anytime but 
there's a, a link, there's a Facebook group linked to the course. So while you're doing the course, if you, if you, if you join on the, the published dates, then you get uh, into the Facebook group and then there's lots of chat going on where, again, people are sharing their ideas and saying, well, this is what we, we, we do here in Puerto Rico. Um, you know, this is what we do in Portugal. So that's all really, really exciting. And I think that idea of community um, is, is, really, is really key there. So I would recommend if you can do that, that course at, at one of the published times when, um, when you can plug into that, that community of, of like-minded teachers. And you get a certificate. Yes. Which yes. we know teachers love a certificate. Let's be honest. <laughs> we do love a certificate. So yeah, if you do it in the allotted time, you get your certificate. If you're a bit of a fool like me and you do it out of the allotted time, you don't get your certificate. Oh, is um, that right? I didn't know that. <laughs> well, I, I, I didn't finish it yet. So, you know, I'm, right. uh, I, I, I started, I got most of the way through and then, you know, work and things life get happens. in the way, life happens. And then I didn't finish it. And, and the worst thing was I was going to give Owen all, all, all my lovely feedback as well, but then I didn't quite finish it, which is a terrible <laughs> example to set uh, live on air. But I'm honest, you know, um, and I haven't even started yours yet, Dan, but I, it is something I'm going to get around to, that's for sure. Cool. Because uh, cool. I do, you know, it's, it's something that I, I've really learned, particularly um, in recent years. There's... There's so much positivity and help from from everybody, and you can learn so yeah. much from these different areas. You know, ELT footprint, yeah. as I mentioned before, ELT sustainable, incredible. Um, and you mentioned picker powers. Now, now everybody that I know that I've mentioned in those moments all work or, or you know freelance or write for different publishers but there's no like rivalry or or anything in there it's all like we're here to help each other and mm. that's something i really love we, we leave the rivalry to the publishers themselves they can exactly they exactly can bitch about each other but we're we're um um especially if you're a freelancer you know i could be working for, for one publisher one day and another one the next day exactly um, but yeah, going back to the ELT footprint, I just wanted to to talk about that because you said, you know, how influential Owen and, and I've been with your development in this area. Um, but it goes both ways, Harry. And like you're a total inspiration the way you're just really going great guns with with things like this, with your renewable English, with work you're doing with um, Pearson and things like that. And um, and and I often find I lack energy to sort of post in Facebook and make things happen and I'm really uh, in awe of, of all the energy you supply for, for all of this, it's brilliant Nobody um, can see how much I'm blushing right now <laughs> <laughs> um, So uh, and, and, and I think that was one of the big surprises of ELT Footprint is when we started it we had no idea but within I was going to say days but within hours really, we, I think within the, in the first week we had like 400 members and then it, it's grown now we're in the 3,000s somewhere Almost um, 4,000, I think. I think it's it 3,800 and something. Oh, we're going to have to we're going to have to get a a little celebratory moment again for when we hit the 4,000 mark. Um, uh, it's um, it's the community, it's the friendships that I've made. I mean, I've I've I think I've met you once or twice at our local Athea um, training conference, haven't I, Harry? Yeah. Um, but I've never met Owen in in, the, in person. But we've worked closely together. And we have. Um, we have beers together on a Friday afternoon every now and again, and um, I've got some 
you know, really good friends um, uh, from through through all of this. I, w- I wouldn't have heard, I don't think I would have necessarily heard or even of Owen's website of um, um, sustainable, I can't think what it's called now. ELT Sustainable. ELT Sustainable, I was going to say Sustainable English. Um, ELT Sustainable, I wouldn't have heard of that if it hadn't been for ELT Footprint. And all of these people sort of put their hand up, you know, above the parapet and said, I'm here, I've been doing this for all this time. And it, may- and it really made me feel uh, humbled by... The fact that um, you know all all we did creating LT footprint was to create a meeting place really, and everyone else sort of have, has been supplying the the content, the inspiration, the shared links, the ideas, the the the, the, the celebrations and, and commiserations as well. So I think it's just it's just brilliant that we've got we've got that there. It is fantastic. Now, you mentioned ELT Sustainable. Well, I'm going to come back to you in a minute and ask you a bit more about the, the lesson plans that you have created for the British Council. But I would like to jump over again to, to Owen um, because I know that Ben is a, is a close ally of yours. Um, I, I recently spoke to him at um, the FAA, actually. We were just talking about that conference. I spoke to him on, on Saturday through the, the online app for the conference, which was great. Um, He's he's wonderful, um, and yeah, he's doing a lot of really good things as well. And he's um, he mentioned uh, he mentioned a course. Owen, could you tell us more about this wonderful course? Sure. Um, well, I've long been interested in online learning, um, long before the pandemic. Um, If I'm totally honest, part of that motivation, apart from intrinsic uh, motivation, was a desire to be sat somewhere running a course. Um, And I was doing an MA module where I had to design an online course, and it was in something, I can't actually remember what, but something very ELT-related. And I thought, well, at the moment, I've learned these various things about online learning um, that I want to apply. And I thought, if I build an online course that trains teachers or helps teachers develop um, in bringing environmental issues into the class, I can literally put it together with this knowledge before I forget it quite quickly and easily. And so I did that. I think it was 2019 it first launched. And in the first two years, a lot of people joined, including Dan here, and um, I met some really interesting people on it because it's very much like good adult online learning. It's driven by what participants with lots of experience, teachers um, around the world bring to it and this collaboration space online. Um, so I, I learned so much just from delivering it. Um, then one day, um, I think at some conference, Ben won a, um, a reduced place on this course and he took part and I was the tutor at that time and I spotted him. I thought, this guy, I need him running the course because he was just, and I hope Ben's ears are blushing at this point, he was just so good at interacting <laughs> with everyone on there um, that I wrote yeah. to him and said, can you join me? And happily he agreed because... Um, 
it was becoming very difficult for me. I was studying, working full time and then trying to run this. And I just thought, I can't do it justice anymore. So he took over the tutoring, has been doing a brilliant job. Um, I'm kind of the person in the, in the background now, just uh, running the, the course uh, site. Um, it's now, it, it began on a sort of off the peg uh, online learning platform that was horrendously expensive. So um, it was almost uh, in, unfeasible to keep it going. And then I met someone, Militza, who runs a website called, um, what's her website called for young learners? Alice in Methodology Land. And she's built this new website and course platform, which is about to be tested for the first time on the 14th of November, when the next course led by Ben starts. And so it's been a really interesting story. And it's just wonderful how so many people have come in brought their stories, their experience and their skills and shared them with others and, and, and then taken that away and got a beautiful green certificate. <laughs> Which at the end of the day is what we all want, isn't it? Absolutely. <laughs> um, so yeah, Melissa I... was actually my second guest. Sorry there, Owen, I interrupted you. No, 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 no. I was finished. I... That's fine. I was going to interrupt actually, because, um, uh, I just wanted to talk about that course, as as uh, Owen mentioned, I took the course, and then and then you had me on as a guest lecture for that one that Ben was on. And I remember us talking about Ben going, he'd be great because he was just so supportive of his peers and just on the ball the whole time. In fact, he's been doing his diploma on the course that I'm a tutor on, and exactly the same. He's just there for all his peers. He's just brilliant. Anyway. Um, and he's got a lovely voice as well, hasn't he? Got a lovely. He does have a lovely voice. voice. <laughs> he does. Really soothing, and just I love listening to him. Anyway, enough enough Ben adulation. <laughs> um, what was I going to say? The content, the course content on that course is where I sort of learnt the principles which Owen's been developing since he's been creating lessons about you know things like that this this um this idea of positivity about keeping it local, keeping it personal. Um, you know, relating it to the students' lives, making, you know, not talking about polar bears on ice caps, but talking about people and traffic and clothes and the things that we do. Um, and, and that's really influenced me in my materials writing. I try and get it in as much as I can on the course books that I'm writing and with some success as well. And going back to that idea of materials, these ideas are trickling through and the publishers are really listening. And certainly the writers, so many of the you know, um, established um, ELT course book writers are members of ELT Footprint. Uh, they really believe strongly in uh, not just environmental justice, but social justice, and they want to get it into the books. And things have changed. You know, we've got this very old-fashioned idea of, of you know, materials about lessons about the, the environment and things like that. But Actually, if you look at the, a lot of them now, they're, they're very different things and they're very teachable and very relatable. Um, and it's partly down to people like Owen who have pushed an agenda which says we can integrate this into, into our teaching um, in, in the right way. In, in, in the, I think in, in terms of um, big... 
communicative way as well in a way that gets people using their English, which is always a bit of a problem when you've got, you know, a long text about, about, you know, animals going extinct is like, okay, well, fair enough. Yeah. I think in terms of like the, Oh, sorry, Dan, I'm talking over you there. Is, is, you know, I I really recommend that course. Um, To some extent, the climate action in language education is doing a similar thing. Um, But it's, I would say it's, it's a, it's a more asynchronous course. It's much more, uh, you you know, you, you do the course on your own. Whereas, um, the uh, ELT Sustainable, the, the English Language Teaching for the Planet course, um, is is uh, you know very interactive. You get feedback from tutors, and and there's that community there. So um, it's all good stuff. Um, and going back to what you mentioned about the the publishers as well, I think I think we're soon going to see like in the traditional course book side of things, we're going to see more environmental things in there very soon um i think at the moment we're still on books that were written two or three years ago so it's taking its time to flow through what a lot of them are doing are supplementary materials you know the um, i I recently worked on speak up for sustainability for pearson and i know that all of the other publishers have their own kind of sustainable outlook Um, and then of course there is the british council now we talked about their their course but they they also had a set of 12 wonderful lessons down could you tell us a bit about those 12 wonderful <laughs> lessons? Yeah, so we, um, I was one of the writers, Kath Bilsborough, who you've mentioned before, and Chris Graham were the other writers. And uh, we were commissioned by the British Council to create, um, this is all part of the British Council's sort of um, environmental push for COP. Um, uh, the climate connection is the kind of overarching term for it. And one of the very many strands of this uh, was these lesson plans, which have been um, doing the rounds. Um, so I, I did four of them. And um, they're, again, free to download or from the website, from the Teaching English uh, UK website. Um, and it's all for primary and secondary. There's no, It's not officially adult, although I'm, I think a lot of the teenage materials can be, uh, you know, as with most materials, are very flexible things. And you can easily use them or adapt them, tweak them slightly to to use them with adults, but um, one of the um, one of the lessons I did, the first lesson I did was for kind of six to eight years old, perhaps nine years old. You could probably do it as old as 10 or 11, 12 years old, but it's kind of A1 level. Um, oh, no, sorry, this is Kath's one. Um, this was about greening your classroom. Mm-hmm. There's one about um, another one she wrote for primary because she's a real primary expert. Um, for slightly older children is is uh, looking at the five R's of sustainability. So looking at things like reusing and recycling stuff. Um, I did one for primary uh, called a new logo for the World Wildlife Fund. So again, following my my interest in, in animals and biodiversity. Um, uh, where So the idea is that they, we sort of address this idea that, you know, the, the, the World Wildlife Fund logo is a panda. And it's always cute animals, big furry animals, the, the, the what are they called, the megafauna. They're called uh, something like attractive megafauna or something like that. Um, but we don't focus on the kind of uh, creepy crawly insects or the, or the uh, you know, the ugly animals. So we were looking at, so the, the kids get to read about different, um, different animals that are endangered and how they, and, and then they decide which one is going to be the, the, the new logo for the World Wildlife Fund. Um, and I also did one for slightly older uh, children, well, for teenagers, um, 
more sort of advanced level, older teenagers about sports. So again, following that, that idea that Owens had is like, we can talk about the environment through the topics that we're teaching, all those typical unit themes that we go through with, with our students, whether it's travel or food or sport or whatever. So this one, I thought sport was an interesting one, looking at um, the impact. So first of all, the impact of sport on the environment. So that's something mm -hmm. that a lot of people don't really think about. But, you know, a big event where you've got thousands of fans flying into another country in order to watch their team play and vice versa. You know, the huge impact of a single football match can have. Um, something like the Olympics, uh, you know, where every country, thousands of athletes, let alone the fans, are all honing in massive, great big concrete structures are being built. But also the flip side, the the effect that the climate breakdown is having already on athletes and sports. So you've got tennis players now fainting in the heat because it's like hitting 38 degrees. And you've got um, uh, um, golf courses in Scotland going underwater because of, of, of um, flooding and stuff like that. So it was, it was, that, that, that was a, an interesting one, I thought, um, for, for, for teenagers who are going to have to write, do a lesson on sport anyway. They're doing their unit on sport. Uh, and so this is a nice addition to, to, um, to their course, to what they're doing. If another they thing, have, have that flexibility. With the, with the sport thing, another thing I always like to focus on, you mentioned the fans coming over and the, the air miles, as it were. I also yeah. like to talk about where they all go to a hotel. And in the hotel, they all have a buffet breakfast. And in the buffet breakfast, how much of the food do they eat? And then, you know, it can be connected then to food waste. You know, and sure. the, the amount of food that is wasted even within the stadiums and so on and so forth. There's such a huge impact that, you know, there's that thought doesn't come, occur to many people that, you know, okay, there's a bunch of people kicking a ball around. They maybe think the, the floodlights if it's at night. And that's about, that's where it stops for most people. Exactly. Yeah. That's usually yeah. the kind of end of it. But... It can go so much deeper and getting students to think critically about that is so important. Absolutely, yeah. Um, and so there's, so, um, and, and this is for those teachers that have the luxury of being able to choose their materials. They can go to the British Council, but there are lots of people who are using course books. And I just wanted to go back to that idea of kind of integrating uh, it more. And, and uh, this is something that, teachers who are listening can get if they want if they want from Owen's uh, course um, and often the kale course is, is is how you integrate them into the lessons that you're already teaching because you have to because it's in the course book how can you add those how can you give those lessons a twist an environmental twist and it might just be a five minute addition to the lesson or uh, you know a, an extra question that gets them thinking about the the, the topic but also, you know, as we said, materials are, as you say, most people are using the course, book, course books that are a few years old and maybe that it's not made its way yet. But I mean, the courses, the course book I've just been writing uh, for National Geographic Explorer, um, looking at things like, just opened it now, a sharing space with animals is all about how elephants and people, elephants and humans, um, uh, um, having to sort of share space in uh, countries in Africa, places like Tanzania, and how they've created a really nice natural solution to um, preventing elephants from kind of destroying crops. 
by by using bees because elephants are scared of bees so they put these bees nests around the around the farms it's, you know things like that so there's plenty of of stuff coming up i think it'll be i my feeling is it's in the zeitgeist and it's going to be a a feature now um but it's just going to be something that's much more normalized in, in all our materials Absolutely. I, I, you know, I couldn't agree more. And it's something I think is very much, it's not even on the horizon, I don't think. I think if we're looking for, you know, our, our traditional school years in September, there's going to be an awful lot more with the kind of new releases coming up. It is six o'clock, so I'm going to shoot off for some news um, and, our, um, and our sponsors. When we come back, we are going to get down to the crux of it. I've got my one-minute limit on. I will not rant for more than a minute, I promise. Um, but we will, be, we will be back after the news uh, and a, a quick word from our sponsor. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and this is Teachers Talk Radio News with Megan Goods. This is your latest Teachers Talk Radio News. A worrying trend on social media app TikTok has seen teachers across the country targeted in videos. The content contains unfounded allegations of sexual misconduct and uses offensive insults and homophobic slurs. The social media company has been written to by the Association of School and College Leaders, who demand TikTok take immediate steps to remove the content. Jeff Barton, the General Secretary of the ASCL, has spoken out, saying he is deeply concerned that a number of offensive and defamatory videos have been posted on the TikTok platform targeting members of school staff. Although these posts appear to be in clear contravention of TikTok's community guidelines, it appears that, in the majority of cases, no action has been taken by TikTok to remove them after a complaint has been made. The union has written to TikTok demanding it take immediate steps to prevent posts of this nature appearing. appearing on the platform. Barton continued, saying material of this nature is deeply upsetting for the school and college staff who were targeted, and we strongly urge those responsible for this material to desist immediately. School and college staff have worked tirelessly and in extremely difficult circumstances throughout the course of the pandemic. Imagine how they feel to be the subject of spiteful and nasty videos on a social media platform. Those responsible should show more respect, and TikTok should show more care. The videos that feature pictures of teachers, videos from school websites or YouTube channels, and photoshopped images have been viewed millions of times. TikTok has responded with a statement claiming, Our community guidelines make clear that we do not tolerate content that contains bullying or harassment, statements targeting an individual or hateful speech or behaviour, and we remove content that violates these guidelines. That was your latest Teachers Talk Radio News. One of the sponsors of this show is Oxford University Press. If you need support with your phonics teaching, Oxford University Press now has three DFE validated programmes to help you. Read Write Ink Phonics, Floppy Phonics and the brand new Essential Letters and Sounds. 
Essential Letters and Sounds will get all your children reading well, quickly using phonics books you may already have in the classroom. Developed by the Knowledge Schools Trust English Hub, it's affordable, easy to use, and makes teaching phonics with letters and sounds more effective. To find out more about these programs and receive support from your OUP expert local educational consultant, visit www.oxfordprimary.com forward slash phonics. So then, um, we've managed to go an hour and four minutes with hardly mentioning COP26. Now, I, I didn't want to get stuck in that rabbit hole, um, as I mentioned. So I'm going to open it up to the gents in just a moment. But before I do that, uh, I did want to say, now I'm saying this perhaps with inverted commas, perhaps not with inverted commas, but some of the positive things to come out of COP so far. Um, so, at least 110 countries representing 85% of the world's forest agreed to end and reverse deforestation. Um, okay, well, let's see how far that goes when our cows need to eat. Um, 1.7 billion package has been agreed to support indigenous people's conservation uh, of forests and strengthen their land rights. Um, South Africa, the most coal intensive economy in the G20, will receive 8.5 billion to help end their use of coal. Over well, here, I'm going to say only 20 nations say they will phase out coal power in uh, the 2030s or 40s including Vietnam, Poland, Indonesia, Ukraine. The US, China, India, and Australia haven't signed. Um, meanwhile, the UK plan to open their first coal mine in over 30 years. Um, the USA and Canada are among 20 nations to, uh, to agree to stop funding fossil fuel pro uh, projects by the end of next year. Um, India has committed to increase their renewable energy by 50% by 2030. Um, and world leaders have signed a pledge to cut methane emissions by 30% by 2030, including China, Russia, um, sorry, excluding China, Russia, and India, who are yet to sign the deal. Um, so that's some of the things that, some of the policy, as it were. Now, I'm not sure any of you have seen the, the meme I posted today. I'm still waiting for some really meaningful stuff to come out of there. Um, that's some of the things that have happened um, in terms of policy. The good things I've seen has been more uh, in terms of momentum um, and um, public outpouring and public outcries and, you know, protesters and people taking to the streets and, and becoming more aware. And, and I've seen these um, some incredible um, videos of some people doing amazing things. Um, Amy Meek from Kids Against Plastic was um, was there for the first week. Of course, the wonderful Greta was there um, making waves as well. Um, so I'd like to ask the gents their opinion um, of COP so far, and then we're going to talk a little bit about how we can take it forward. So I'm going to hand over to you first, Dan, if that's okay. I'm going to unmute you. Thank you. Um, yeah, I mean, it's I'm, I'm listening to that list. I thought, oh, these are all really great things. And... And I think in some ways it's probably as much as we could have, uh, not as much as we could have hoped, but as, as much as I was expecting and, and possibly more, um, which is just goes to show my scepticism for the whole thing. I, I'm just, I just know that it's, it's just so, they are so uh, 
it's such a love oh i can't remember what someone called it a love fest with the oil and fossil, you know, fossil fuel industry um we know that more uh, more uh, what are they lobbyists from the uh, fossil fuel industry were present than any other country and in fact some of the countries were represented by the fossil fuel industry of that country um so they've got us by the balls really um I just think, you know, in order to judge the COP, it's 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 possible to list the positives as you've done, Harry. And I think it's important to do so. I think there are definitely some really important steps there, especially to do with deforestation, to do with methane. Um, but it's in light, we have to um, judge it by the science, by the, you know, in light of, of what the science, which is that <clears throat> there's extremely robust science now, which and the modeling is very is has been shown to be very uh, generally very precise very accurate and using those um measurements uh the pledges that have been made in the last week or so are or and are likely to be signed off on are likely to still mean a rise in temperature of 2.7 degrees 2.7 degrees is devastating not just for the world's port not just for the southern uh, the global south or uh, the, the sort of um, sub-saharan africa or whatever wherever we're looking but it's it's going to be devastating for everyone greta thunberg put it very uh, starkly a few couple of months ago she said uh, the, the 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 differences the class differences in the future will not be between the haves and the have nots but it will be between those who can flee and those who can't Mm-hmm. That's how that's how serious it really is. And every time I think of that phrase, I just, you know, I, 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 a lump comes to my throat because I'm, I, I try and imagine, and I can start to imagine what that might look like, um, and uh, and it, it and it's absolutely terrifying. Um, so it's already affecting people's lives. Fossil fuels we know need to stay in the ground. And we know that offsetting is not a solution. There are complicated reasons why I don't fully understand, but offsetting is basically just outsourcing your pollution to other countries who will take it for you. And it's and, and if, if you're offsetting by planting trees and things, that's already been taken into account in the equation. So when you then add it on, it's a false equation. We're fooling ourselves if, um, excuse me. Um, so, Following the science, we need we're we're, we're aiming for one point five. An overshoot is likely, and in order for two degrees, I think it, we need um, two billion tons of carbon reduction carbon dioxide reduction per year. That's five percent per year, um, and that's they're nowhere near that. Um, as you said, they're not even talking about the oil and fossil fuels in the final agreement or it's unlikely to so i'm very very skeptical about it i think i agree with you what the the momentum that we saw with cop 26 not inside the building so much as outside the 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 demonstrations the anger the fact that it's on the agenda that's in the newspapers um so i think that's the the kind of Feeling I having, it, it, my feeling I have is that there, the hope I'm feeling is not from the status quo. It's not from the, the 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 people currently in power. It's from the people who I can see banging on the door. I wonder how long it will be before, you know, civil unrest reaches a point where um, there is no there is no ignoring it in the way that 
to some extent we can ignore people like Greenpeace, Extinction Rebellion, Friends of the Earth, whatever. Um, so yeah, I think I think what people need to realise if they hear positive messages about COP um, and there, as you say, there are positive messages, is that there are various fundamental flaws. The pledges were made, but as I said, even if they are kept, we're still on for two point seven, which is going to be awful. The pledges are not legally binding. All of these, these what are they called? The DRCs, the um, sorry, the NDCs, the nationally determined contributions. They're nationally determined. Each country has a has a you know decides what it's going to do. Um, and we've seen and and you mentioned kind of notable absences of in in certain agreements um, like China, Russia, and America to some extent, um, and Britain. As you said about you know the, the the hypocrisy that we're seeing in 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 building new coal plants at the same time as holding the pledge holding the, the the conference, a lot of the pledges don't up don't stand up to scrutiny because there's all this wiggle room in there which makes them almost meaningless. Um, they're not the pledges aren't universal. Some of the biggest polluters um, are, have been absent and will be, and then just the sheer amount of greenwashing which makes it all look lovely. Um, but it's just designed to pull the wool over our eyes. There is a stark truth, and a stark truth is not hard to, to, to grasp. But fossil fuel companies have been doing a really, really good job, not just in the last few months leading up to COP and during COP, but for decades now, they've been aware of their, of their, their culpability in this, and they've been covering up since the 80s. It reminds me a lot of actually of the, <clears throat> of the um, uh, tobacco industry, um, mm-hmm. you know, which knew about lung cancer for decades um, and did everything they possibly could. And they were the, they were the real environmentalists. Uh, they were the real kind of uh, medical experts um, for, for a long time because they knew it before anyone else did. They were, they, they were pouring a lot of money in. In the same way, these fossil fuel companies have since the 80s been aware of the problem and been engineering the dialogue about it all so that um, uh, in the first place the blame is put on the individual you know it's not us we're just providing the oil you're the ones driving um, coca-cola by the way did it in the same way with litter they were really aware of how much and, and other there was a consortium of, of companies the big litter creators mcdonald's coca-cola people like that you all got together they got together back in 1990 something 1980 that whole um, um, what was the word? The campaigns to the whole keep Britain tidy. I think in America it was pitch in, pitch in with your, you know, uh, was 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 created by them. They did it in order to sort of look good and in order to push the blame away from them towards people, um, towards individuals. So it's it's nothing new, um, and. I've had much longer than a minute. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to, I'm going to, um, yeah, pick up on a couple of things you said there before I hand over to, to Owen. Um, and yeah, it was the, the, the lack of mention of, um, fossil fuels, but again, it's not something I was particularly surprised by. Um, I went into, to cop with very low expectations. Um, and I've come out of them with them being met, uh, I have to say, um, but what I do love is the fact that it's it's brought the attention back to the planet, back to the environment. And and I wonder, Owen, um, 
uh, how can we keep this ball rolling? Um, if we're not going to start a revolution, what can we do? Um, well, first of all, just listening to Dan there, but I don't actually disagree with what he's saying. In fact, I one of the things I admire about Dan is how well-informed he is on these things and how he stores tidbits of information like 2.7 degrees, which I never managed to do. And I've got notes, mate. I'm cheating. <laughs> <laughs> going forward, um, I think it's a case of... I, I, I can't say I know the answers to this, but um, I will tell you a couple of little stories. Uh, one was um, back in, it must have been 2008, I was having a chat with my dad. And my dad likes to wind me up. And he said um, that he thought that the climate crisis, if it was going to be solved by anyone, would be solved by actions. And you can imagine how that went down with a left-wing activist. It, I was incensed. And um, I, now, that one, 10 years later, and... Some of the developments we've seen with the falling price of renewables um, are just incredible and probably couldn't have been predicted um, back when we had that conversation. And in a way, I feel like he's been proved right, particularly Riling, because it's yet again been proved right. And I... I, I realise I am an optimist, possibly too much of an optimist, but if we look at um, renewables and we look at the, the iPhone or whatever now, the pace of change is just so fast that we can't predict what is happening um, in a few years from now. And it's almost like there's this compound interest of action and innovation taking place that even if certain targets are not being met now, um, I have a feeling that so much is beyond these targets that it could um, be a more positive outcome. Now, I know loads of people are going to jump on me for that, and possibly I haven't answered your question. Um, in terms of what the individual teachers should be doing, I think um, carrying on as normal, because the second story I was going to mention was that today I was in this staff room and typically the environment doesn't feature in staff room conversations in any office I've worked in. And suddenly today, everyone was talking about the environment in a way that I could never have predicted 10 years ago. And this was as a result of some more British Council lessons that are um, internal so they're not published outside, but they've been fed into the British Council system, which I was very happy to be asked to write. Are you still there? Hello? Uh, it's raining in Algeria at the moment, so Owen's connection is a little bit spotty, just to, to let everyone know. If you do get back, Owen, do give us... Are you back, Owen? I, I'm back here now, yes. Excellent news. I can, loud and clear. I'll try and carry on exactly where I was. Um, yes, I was saying in the staff room today, there was this talk about the environment that I've never heard before. 
And I think that was as a result of some new British Council lessons where that bring in environmental issues into the British Council internal teaching centre courses. And suddenly there, there was this discussion going on that I've never seen before. And that, again, this, this compound interest of change that's happening, that to have gone from where we were in 2008 or 2015 to where we are now, I just can't imagine what where we'll be in 2000 in 2024. And I am a listener to this podcast called Outrage and Optimism, which I would highly recommend to anyone because uh, yeah, probably like many people here, I'm mm -hmm. really busy. I come home at the end of the day. I could sit down and read The Guardian and get depressed. And all I allow myself is this one podcast led by um, Christiana Figueres, who was the hero of the 20. What, what was it, 2017, 2014 Paris Accord. Um, and it's that makes me feel quite optimist because of some of the people that come on and the solutions they talk about. So maybe I'm a, I, I am an optimist, maybe too much so. And I'm sure me and Dan will have a good old discussion about this and he'll say, hang on, Owen, later on. <laughs> do you know, I, I, I do want to get back to you, though, on that, Owen, because... I am an optimist as well. I might not sound it. I'm not, I'm, I wasn't optimistic about COP and that's what I was talking about. And, and actually, you know, what we need is um, action at the top. We can't be relying on people to, you know, drive electric cars or, you know, uh, walk to school or whatever anymore and stop eating meat. It's got to be from the top. We know that. But I am an optimist and I do believe, and I do see, and I'm really excited about uh, what you talked about, I loved your idea, the compound interest of change. I'm very aware that, you know, things are going to, things are going to be so, so different so quickly. And we've got, you know, we, we, we've learned that from the pandemic, that things can change on a sixpence. And we will be, you know, one minute will be, you know, just following our lives. And, and all of a sudden, everything changes. And I think that education is key. The, the problem is with education is it's very slow in some ways, and we need to be kind of really accelerating that by doing what we can in class. Um, but I think that education is, is key, making sure that kids are really aware of the issues, that you talk about it with your students. There's no, uh, and, and this is one of my hang-ups about eco-anxiety, that it stops people talking about the news. I don't want teachers to, to not bring that into the classroom, bring that article, bring the carbon, um, uh, carbon dioxide uh, daily levels um, into the cloud. I don't want that to be hidden from people, whether they're seven or seventeen or seventy. Um, so I think there's this idea of uh, a tipping point is a very um, famous phrase in terms of ice caps melting and 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 you know these these um, what are they called um, cyclical processes in nature which mean that one thing leads to another leads to another and we, we're, we're in danger of, of reaching tipping points in different areas of, of the environment but there's also the, such a thing as a social tipping point and I feel we're so close to that now and we mm -hmm. just need to be pushing that social tipping point a little bit further because it only takes a tiny movement before it all starts happening and I really think that you know for me the biggest 
issues are, uh, is, is to do with wealth and power and politics, because we have these um, corrupt um, politicians uh, in power, and they've managed to manipulate the social media machine so well that they, they're, they're getting in and they're staying in, whether it's in, in Britain, <clears throat> America, wherever. Um, and we have these um, philanthropist billionaires. I can't stand this idea that they're not being taxed to the hilt. Um, they, why, are, why are we letting them get away with it? Why is this not law? Why are they in so much power that they can do whatever they like, including sending William Shatner into space? I just find... I find the, this, the, these are the big obstacles that we need to get over. And they've got us really in control because they've got control of our, our comfort and our, our lifestyle in such a, in such a way. Um, and, and, and so I think once we've got past that, once that social tipping point, that idea of people clamoring at the door and knocking that door down and getting into the room and making change, it will, it will be very, very quick. And also recently it's Greenpeace's 50th anniversary uh, this year, and uh, they were sending members um, some, you know, uh, 50th anniversary uh, souvenirs, a bit like when you go on Facebook and it says, do you remember this two years ago? Um, because it was their 50th anniversary, they were celebrating some of their success stories and other things that have happened. And things can change. You remember the ozone layer? You mentioned it earlier. Um, Absolutely, Harry. yeah. The, the, you know, that was solved the ozone layer is is now much more much in much better shape than it was 20 years ago and that's because there was a global effort and on carbon free CFCs. radicals cfcs yeah that's right um the whales so many popular whale populations have bounced back in the last couple of decades because of the bans on on whaling and none of these are universal there are still cfcs being produced and there are still whales being killed but it's just been almost globally um, eradicated. Uh, we banned lead in cars because of pollution. And then recently we've had these legal victories. I, there was, I was reading, I can't remember what it was, but um, oil companies, the likes of Shell, Exxon, BP, uh, what's that French one? Um, and they've been, they're kind of the worst, the worst at greenwashing and polluting and stuff. And they've been forced legally to confront COP um, 20, uh, COP20, um, the Paris Agreement, because you, the Paris Agreement actually has a legal power in certain countries, in certain areas, in certain ways of using it. And lawyers of Friends of the Earth and people like that have managed to use that to force them to change their targets for carbon reduction and things like that. So we have law, we, we, we can have law on our side. And then the last thing I want to talk about is the youth movement. I think that is the real message of hope. You've got this whole uh, generation of people who are fully aware of greenwashing, more so than most adults, they're fully aware of what's going on. And they're not going to go away anytime soon. It won't be long before they're in their adults, they're voting, they're taking positions of power, they're changing the way that corporations work. And I think that that is a source of hope. We just haven't got enough time to do all of this. No, I know. I was, I was going to say that last, that last point you made about the youth movement is something that has, like, it's massively inspired me personally. You know, I work closely with with Amy Meek and Kids Against Plastic. Amy and Ella Meek, sorry, from Kids Against Plastic. 
And, you know, they started kind of five and a half years ago um, when they were 10 and, and, and 12. And now they're, they're 18 and 16. And um, Amy's doing a TEDx talk um, tomorrow, actually, in Geneva. And just watching these incredible humans, like just their knowledge, their eloquence and, and the way they're going about life. And you just think these people are soon going to be in power. I mean, not quite soon enough. You know, um, unless, you know, they get voted in when they're 21, not quite soon enough, but <laughs> it is a real kind of positive thing looking forward. And, you know, I see my daughter who who said the other day, um, I was like, do you want to go to drama class, Alethea? And she's like, no, daddy, I don't want to be an actor. I want to be an activist. And I was just like, oh, nice. that's, a, that's a pretty nice statement, to be honest. You've like, mated her really well, haven't you? I know. I was like, I've got my next <laughs> tattoo planned there. That's a, That's a good one. Um, so yeah, I am going to draw things very slowly to a close now. I want to say thank you to both of you. Owen, before I leave, do you have any last words for the show? I do. And I just want to repurpose this word eco-anxiety to a very focused area. A lot of teachers feel a sense of anxiety about bringing eco-issues into their classroom. And recently, I've been doing a bit of research into being students about whether they want this to feature in their classes. And it just seems to be a resounding, yes, we want to talk about the environment in our classes. So I'm not quite sure where this eco-anxiety, I either wish not to bring ecological issues into classes, comes from. But I'm aware it's quite strong with a number of teachers. And... I think that is something that it would be great if we can overcome. Absolutely. I think yeah. for, for all um, subjects as well. I think whatever subjects you're teaching, be it maths, science, history, English, bring it into your class. You know, history teachers, show us what people used to do in the past. You know, when they used to go shopping without plastic, how easy it was. So mm. I think that's a, a big opportunity. So thank you very much, Owen. Um, Dan, do you have any final words? Not really. Just, I mean, I, I totally agree with what um, Owen was saying there about eco-anxiety. Um, I think it's, for me, it's about uh, the, the recommendations. Uh, Owen mentioned uh, Outrage and Optimism, the podcast, which is a really good listen. And very always very positively framed, very excited about the news. They've been very active, obviously, during COP. They, they, they've been there reporting on it. Um, join ELT Footprint if you're not a member. Get talking to people on there, um, and you and 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 also the reading material. There's lots of stuff out there. You know, Greenpeace. I don't think you need to join to get their newsletter. Um, uh, Grist is a, an American publication, which is a sort of news outlet about climate news. Uh, you introduced me last night, Harry, to Common Dreams, which is another one. Another, I think uh, it's yeah. American as well. So there's lots of places, sources, and, and, and doing that. And also things like uh, joining local groups, conservation groups, if you're into the animals. I've met lots of people recently. We're doing work with um, some birds that are uh, threatened in this area. A um, bit of citizen science doesn't go amiss. Um, and finally, I, just, I, I listened to David Attenborough at COP yesterday. If you haven't seen it, look it up on YouTube. He gives a, a rousing speech. It's about nine minutes long and it's brilliant and um uh and there's lots of other people giving really good 
talks there as well. If you want to learn a bit, it doesn't take much just to listen to three or four of the key speakers. Exactly. Um, well, gentlemen, that is it. That has been time. It is, it is time. We've had a great time. Thank you very much for, for joining us, gents. Um, I'll be seeing much. you in EOT Footprint. And, uh, yeah, thank you very much, everybody. Thanks for listening. Thank I'll be back next week. Um, uh, and I'll be speaking next week um, about training. So thanks very much, everybody. I'll speak to you soon. Thanks, Harry. Bye. Thank you for having us. Cheers, guys. Bye-bye. Cheers. Bye.